You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. So if you're watching at home online, you have no idea how cold it is in our building. Uh, we had a, a furnace issue related to Duke Energy, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. And so we're going to get over it. We're going to fix it. We're going to be good. All right. We are in week three in Exodus. I am so pumped to get to this message, but I got to get there, right? So week three, if you haven't been here for week one and two, I will bring you up to speed as best as I can. And here's a summary of today's message. I want to start by asking you a question. What comes to mind when you hear the word slave? And some of you are thinking, oh, do we have to go there today? So slave in your mind may have a variety of meanings, depending on perhaps your nationality or perhaps the color of your skin, perhaps whatever you learned in school, or maybe what political spectrum you fall into. When you hear that word, certain things come to mind. Well, throughout today, we're going to talk about slavery from a biblical standpoint. But here it is, a biblically speaking, a slave is simply one who serves another. And that can look like a lot of different things. In the Bible, there's even something called indentured servitude, which is a form of slavery. But let's say I take out a loan. Um, maybe I'm going to start a business, right? I'm going to buy a house. I'm getting married, starting a family. But tragedy occurs. It doesn't have to be poor planning or a mis- you know, it could just be life. It could be a natural disaster of some sort. And all of a sudden, I can't pay back the loan because the business fell apart. I lost <clears throat> all my horses or whatever, cattle or whatever the situation might be, all my crops. And now I got to figure out how to pay back the person I borrowed from. Even in ancient Israel with the Old Testament laws, there was a system whereby myself and maybe my kids or maybe my grandkids had to pay back that loan until it was paid off or until what was called the year of Jubilee came and set everybody free. And so it was this process. But not even that, there are actual slaves as very much like we think of slaves. In fact, we find the Israelites are kind of like that in Egypt. And we'll get to that in just a moment. I just want to show you this in the Bible so you don't think I'm making this up because we're going to do Bible study today, not just Exodus study. Here it is in Romans chapter 6, verse 16. It says this, don't you know when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey. So biblical slavery is whatever, whomever you're obeying is the one who's in charge of you. That's your master. That's your taskmaster. Now let's use that and, and, and try to understand that through the lens of Exodus. Because this here, you may not know this. This here, this is Paul in the book of Romans, right? So follow me here, Bible history. The very first book in the Bible is Genesis. Then we have the second book, which is the book we're studying. That's Exodus. And Exodus is 1,000 years, 1,500 years before Paul comes along and writes Romans. So we've got Exodus over here and their story and their culture. And it's so different than ours. We don't even understand everything they're going through. But fast forward to the first century. Jesus is born, right? Little baby Jesus, little seven pound, 10 ounce, whatever it is, baby Jesus lying in a manger. And, it, you know, the sheep are showing up and they're lowing. And, you know, the, and little boys are showing up drumming their drums, that whole thing, right? Jesus dies on the cross. We're at like 33, so 30 AD. Jesus is in his 30s. He dies, raised from the dead, and then he hands the ministry off to the church, book of Acts, the apostles. And Paul is one of those guys who comes along after that then. So we're looking thousands of years. And what's happening here is Paul is reading the book of Exodus. And you're going to see this throughout today. Paul is reading the book of Exodus and going, oh, wow, that is our story today. The Exodus story, while from us, stands between three and 4,000 years ago. We're dealing with the same thing today that they were dealing with back then. Now, let me show it to you. So the way we get to the book of Exodus is all the way back in Genesis, that first book in the Bible, God comes to a man named Abraham. He says, Abraham, look at the stars in the sky. Look at the sand on the shores. 
You're gonna have as many descendants as you see up there and down there. You're gonna have so many descendants. And Abraham's like, I'm an old man, God, and I have no kids. But he believed God. And then God told Abraham, one day I'm gonna bring you into a land. It's gonna be filled with milk and honey. And, and I'm, I'm not sure why that sounded so good, except for you've been wandering around a desert, pretty much anything. So you're gonna give me a pack of bubble gum? I'm in, all right, let's do it. No, come on. If that's not funny, we're in trouble today, all right? Come on, throw me a bone once in a while. I know it's cold. All right, here we go. So God says to Abraham, I am going to do this. I am going to fulfill this promise to you. But then God tells Abraham, but here's the thing, Abraham, it's gonna be way in the future. In fact, your descendants are gonna live in a land that is not their own, and I am going to do everything I said. However, while they're there, they're going to become slaves. And so we fast forward from Abraham in the book of Genesis. By the time we get to Exodus, we're 500 plus years, maybe 600 years even into the future. And we find that everything that God said would happen is happening and that people are slaves. And the thing is the Pharaoh in Egypt, he's really concerned because God is doing everything God said he would do. And the Israelites are expanding in number. Remember, you're gonna have more descendants than the stars of the sky, the sands of the shores, and the people are growing. God is blessing his people. And God told them, whoever blesses you, I'll bless, but whoever curses you, I'll curse. And that's about to happen too. So Pharaoh decides in order to keep these Israelites from growing and maybe overthrowing Egypt, what he decides is I'm going to make their work harder. And because their work will get harder, they'll have less time to uh, build a relationship as a couple and less time to make babies. But it didn't happen. And the Israelites kept growing. He's like, all right, we're going to have to do something else. So he creates the first plan of abortion. And he says to the Hebrew midwives, I want you to, when the wives are about to give birth, I want you to kill the babies. And the midwives go, no way, not doing that. So then he makes a whole new decree. We're just going to kill all the babies under a certain age. And a certain baby, a guy named Moses, he makes it through. And that's part of the story because the word that is used for Moses in his little basket when his mama gives birth and then puts him in the basket and he floats down the river and is found by Pharaoh's daughter, the word that's used there is an ark. Hang on to that. All right. We're going to have a lot of those. Hang on to that. Hang on to that. Hang on to that. We'll get back to that. Okay. But that's important because then Moses over time is raised in Pharaoh's home and eventually God comes to Moses in a burning bush and talks to him. But the bush is a burning and says, Moses, I have seen, I have heard, my people are suffering and I'm gonna set them free. And where we ended last week is Moses goes back to Pharaoh and says, all right, God is calling his people to come out and worship him. You need to let them go worship him. And Pharaoh says, not a chance, buddy. I don't know who your God thinks he is, but do you know who I am? And Moses says, yeah, just watch this. So there's 10 plagues that unfold and the last plague finally gets the Pharaoh. The last plague is the firstborn of the cattle or of anybody's home, sons, doesn't matter, the firstborn son, the oldest male, he's going to die. Except in Israel. Because whoever has the blood of the lamb over the door will be free. This is called the Passover. Did you know that the Israelites still celebrate Passover still today? I mean, you may think to yourself, this is really old history stuff. We're talking three to 4,000 years ago and they still celebrate it today because something happened. So Pharaoh says, get out of here, go. And Moses and the elders of, of the Israelites start leading the people out, but they're now in a desert and they're kind of wandering around like, well, now what? What do we do now? And all of a sudden, Pharaoh yet again changes his mind. He's like, that's it. I'm going to get those guys. So Pharaoh grabs his chariots and his horses and his armies, and it's about to be on like Donkey Kong. Let's take a look. Exodus chapter 14. Thank you. Not bubble gum, but on like Donkey Kong. All right. I'm learning, you guys. Here we go. Exodus 14, verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Moses, 
Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? This is a bad day for Moses. You ever know what it's like to be a leader and all of your best plans don't seem to be working out? And everybody's looking at you like you're an idiot. And they're accusing you of things that make no sense to you. And they're frustrated. And even the ones who aren't really frustrated at you, but they're like, we trusted you. This is a terrible illustration, but literally on stage, I thought of it and used it last service. So I'm gonna risk it again. But I acknowledge up front, this is not a great illustration. But a few years ago, uh, my family was going with my in-laws and we were gonna go to Florida. And usually I'm the guy who tries to find the place to stay because I'm just really good at finding a good deal. I'm a sucker for a good deal. And I used to reach out and I give them my sob story about, you know, I'm just a lowly pastor. Would you help us? You know, that, that's kind of how it works. And uh, usually somebody helps me. Well, this particular vacation, um, a family friend was like, hey, our house is available. Feel free to use it. We were really excited. So we get in and I think, it, I don't remember the details, but it was in the evening and it was like maybe five or six at night. We get to the house and we're all excited. But we get to the house and we find there's a problem. See, the two weeks before the family who owns the house was using it on vacation, and when we showed up, there were massive rainstorms down in Florida, and it drove in all the rodents. And every drawer we opened was covered in mouse droppings. Every room we went into, I mean, it was everywhere. Every, I mean, you're looking around like, how is there not a massive party of mice in here right now? I don't even understand how much how they could produce that much. Like there had to be so many mice around there. And as we were talking and we were trying to figure out what to do, and we're like, ah, do we leave? Do we stay? Do we hire a cleaning crew? Do we try to clean it ourselves? What do we do? My mother-in-law, she's just kind of fidgeting and she picks up the blanket on the back of the couch and she just literally adjusts the blanket and five pieces fall this way and three or four pieces fall this way. And we all tapped out at that moment. <laughs> and everybody said, why have you brought us here? Okay, it wasn't quite that dramatic. But that's how it felt, and I felt like I was failing everybody. As God would bless it, we actually found this amazing home that the owners didn't have anywhere to rent, and it was just God's story. But there's always a God story that comes after the mouse-dropping story. <laughs> that's where I'm going. Like, we can go home now. You get the big picture, right? But you got to go through the mouse-droppings to get to the God story. But look at this. Look at the next verse. What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt, they said. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. You see, you look at them and you think, you fools. And the reason that you think that is because you could see the beginning and the middle and the end. You know the faithfulness of God. You know exactly how God is going to work it out. So in your mind, you think, these guys are crazy. They've lost their minds. But don't you, in the middle of your story, when things are really hard and painful and you have no idea how God is going to resolve it, don't you also cry out just like this? God, where are you? What are you doing? Why are you doing it? Why like this? Why now? Why here? I have a better way. Why aren't you listening to my way? It's an easier way. It's a pain-free way. But sometimes the familiarity of where you are Maybe the very thing keeping you from the freedom of where you will be. But you have to embrace the fact that God knows more than you and he's more than me. And he knows what he's doing. He's not wasting his time. And everything that he's doing is crazy intentional. In fact, let me show you a picture. This is an aerial photograph 
really couldn't have even done this prior to maybe the last 10 years or so. So I want you to look at the big screen because we're going to take it down off there in a minute. So just kind of get that in your head and then I'll walk you through it. All right, you got it? All right, now you can look up here. You won't be able to see it as far from where you are as well as from where you are. But if you look up here, this is Egypt up here. This is the sea that they are about to cross. We don't know exactly where, right? Like, we don't know. But the Israelites are camped out somewhere in this range. It's kind of, there's a little cloud cover of this picture. It's a little hard to tell, but right here is the water. And right here is where God is about to do his thing. Now, a couple things I want you to see. It's not the focus of today. It was in one of our daily devotions. If you missed it, oh, go, go online. I talked about this there, but here's the map to back it up. So over here is Israel. This is where God is going to take them. This over here is the promised land. And you notice this nice, clean body of water? Wouldn't it be, I mean, you're talking like, you know, maybe a couple week hike. Wouldn't it be great just to go right along the water, a little walk on the beach? I mean, you guys have been brutalized. You've been slaves. It's been hard, hard living. I'm just going to go right here along the sea, right into the promised land. It's going to be great. That's not how it worked. In fact, there's a verse where God actually says he knew that if he took them up here, this right here is Philistine country. And if they ended up in battle there, as much as they've been traumatized and brutalized as they were slaves, he knew if he took them on the easy path, he says in the Bible that they might turn back and quit. So God takes them down through this desert, meets them on top of a mountain, brings them up on the other side. And that's for a later conversation, what happens next over there. But I've always found this fascinating because we want the easy path, but we have to trust our God knows more than we do. He knows that the easy path isn't going to create and develop in us the character needed, the grit needed to go where he's trying to take us. There's giants in the land, literally, read it later for yourself. And when the Israelites do finally pop out on the other side, they're afraid. So he's got to take them back into the desert and change them some more. Because we are transformed almost, almost always by the struggles that we go through. But we got to let go of Egypt before we can find ourselves in the promised land. So Moses looks at the people and he says, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. I don't know what your favorite movie is that's a sports movie. This is that pep talk moment. I used the analogy last service and I realized it's an old movie and probably a third of you have ever seen it, but you're gonna see Little Giants, right? No, go watch this one today, man. It's so good. Like one time, one time, we can do this, right? Right, got the little ragtag group, beat down slaves. We got this. We can do this. God's for us. Don't quit. Let's go out there and give it to him, right? That's what Moses is doing. He's rallying together. Guys, don't be afraid. Stand firm. God's going to be for you. Look at the next verse. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Yeah, I'll preach. Thank you. Thank you. More of that throughout this message, right? <laughs> Yesterday at the men's retreat, I preached a message and I used Ephesians chapter six. And Paul tells us that we are all in a spiritual battle. And he's talking about the armor of God. And he says, and after you've done everything else, just stand. See, there comes a moment in our lives and our walk with God where after we have given every ounce of everything we have, the last thing that we need to do is just stand. 
Stand confidently in our faith. Stand confident that God is for us. Stand confident that whatever challenge or difficulty or hardship or struggle we are facing, that God is for us, God is with us, God is in us, and he is not gonna quit on us. And when the struggle is most intense, stand confidently on God's promise to fight for his children. Yeah. I'm going to let the slide person put that up because they missed their cue, and I'm going to let him let it say, ah, there we go. <laughs> and you're his children if you believe in him. We'll get to that in a moment, but I want you to see what happens next because this is where it's going to get funny. So then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. <laughs> I love this, right? Okay, so you got to get the seed. You got all these people, and they're mad at Moses. So you brought us out here to the desert to die? This was your grandiose plan? And Moses goes, no, 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 just wait, guys, just wait. God's got a story. And Moses is going, God, you got a story. Like, what are you going to do? And God goes, hey, Moses, tell him to quit standing around. So you're like, didn't you just tell us, pastor, to stand around? Well, yeah, but you only stand around until God tells you what to do. When the Lord has clearly spoken, get moving. Do you see that? My dad used to say this all the time. He's, he always told me this is an Amish prayer. I literally have no idea if this is an Amish prayer. If you are Amish or have Amish family members, please forgive me. I have no idea, all right? So blame my dad. I'll give you a cell phone. I'm just kidding. But my dad used to say all the time, the Amish have a prayer, Matt, or, or say, and it goes like this. God likes prayers with feet on them. That'll preach right there. Because that's what just happened in Exodus 14. I didn't just sit around and say, God, move this. God, change this. God, do this. God, God, would you, I need you. God, help. God, God, God. All of a sudden, God says, okay, you go. You help them. You do this. Have you ever noticed throughout the Bible? Yes, God does some amazing things. God brought the 10 plagues, but God sent Moses. God told Noah, build a boat. God sent Peter and John. God is sending you. What if you are God's answer to someone else's prayer? And you just sitting and waiting and praying and saying, oh, God, why don't you help them? God, they need something. God, God, what if God is trying to stir in you to say, go do something about the problem? Well, how do I know? Uh, I don't have a magic answer here. This is a struggle for me. What I know is when God keeps putting a name in my mind and my heart, especially when I'm praying for him to give me a name, I told you guys, I challenge you, if you're new to Kingsway, by the way, we had a family show up last service. It's the first time here. They've been watching with us online for a long time. They said the beginning of the pandemic, never been here in person in their whole life, showed up last service, said, we're excited to start calling this place our home. I was like, yes, Jesus, yes, yes. So cool. Man, what God is doing in this place. But God put two names on my heart. I, I told you, pray that God would give you five names. And I only had two. So I just keep praying. I woke up this morning with two more names in my heart. And then this morning, out of nowhere, somebody that I, the Lord, I don't even know if he's walking with the Lord years ago. I was a part of helping to lead the Lord. He messaged me out of nowhere. God just put a, another name on my heart. I'm just gonna follow up. I'm gonna start moving as God moves. I'm gonna follow his lead. Are you with me? I'm gonna see where God is moving. I'm gonna join him in whatever he's doing. So let's come back to Exodus. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's armies, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. 
Oh, so much I want to say, but this is so good. Remember, if you weren't here a week or two ago, I told you there are angels of God. And the Bible tells us angels are ministering servants. They are spiritual beings. You can't see them. I can't see them unless God allows them to be revealed like a Michael or Gabriel kind of moment, right? Otherwise they're there. But then there is this unique, the angel of God, and you see him like even in the burning bush, and the angel speaks as if he's God. And then it'll say, God spoke. And it leaves us going, huh, I wonder what that's all about. And the bottom line is, I'm, I'm going to show this to you later. So this is one of those things, I need you to put this chunk in your brain for the end of the sermon. So what you're going to see here is the angel of God, who I am convinced with all my heart is Jesus in the Old Testament. The angel of God who was traveling in front of the Israelites, he withdrew and went behind them. And oh, the cloud went too. And the cloud, when it moved from the front, it went to the back and to the Egyptians because they don't have faith. They can't see. They stood in darkness going, well, this stinks. We can't advance right now. But the Israelites, because the cloud was protecting them, Jesus was protecting them and camping them and throning around them. You're going to find that language all over the Psalms because they're reading the book of Exodus and applying it to our lives. You see it even in Psalm 34, that the angel of the Lord encamped around them, enthroned around them. He's reading Exodus and he's just applying it to his story and his struggle as Jesus wraps his arms around them. And Jesus looks out of Jerusalem at one point, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks. In other words, I longed to spread out my wings and just bring you under my care. I longed to care for you and meet all your needs. And in the Exodus story, he did. And the cloud moves back and protects them. And it says, then Moses, <coughs> excuse me, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry land with a wall of water on their right and on their left. You ever see the Prince of Egypt? I know it's an old movie. We showed it to our kids. They loved it. I think they've watched it six times now. They ask to watch it all the time. It's a cartoon. Cartoons don't age like a lot of other movies do. You've got to go watch The Prince of Egypt. Hands down, one of the coolest moments in the entire movie is this one right here. And all of a sudden, this wind goes, and it separates the water, and it dries the land. And all of a sudden, like lightning flashes, and you see like a whale in the water. I am fairly certain there are no whales <laughs> in this body of water. But what a cool concept that as the Israelites are walking across on dry land and to see this wind blowing in these waves just separated, I wonder how tall it was. You know, nobody had a cell phone out. They could just walk along and record it like, are you getting this? You know, like one of those 360 ones where you can later like turn the camera. I'm, I would be that little kid going, touching it, like, right? Like what would happen is like, like oh, that wasn't smart. Like that would be me though. But what a moment, one they would never forget. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and they put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. I think I could take an hour and still not do justice to the fear of the Lord. So I'm gonna take three minutes and know that I'm gonna leave a lot of questions Anybody 
big enough to pull off locusts and turning the Nile into blood and killing the firstborn son. Excuse me. Anybody big enough to separate these waters? You should probably be a little bit afraid of them. Let me, let me correct that. You should probably be absolutely terrified of them. Anybody who has the power to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, it should leave you trembling. But as I said a couple weeks ago, you will worship whatever you fear. And see, here's the thing. When you draw near to this God and you study his word and you learn about him, you suddenly start to see that having fear of him is not a bad thing, it's a good thing. Because what you find is he doesn't desire to wield his power to hurt you. He desires to wield his power to bless you, to protect you, to provide for you. It doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. And sometimes it looks like going out into a desert in the middle of nowhere and having to eat the same meal over and over and over again for years, but you're safe and your babies aren't being murdered anymore. You see, when you realize how big and powerful and otherly he is, you fall on your face and you think, yes. But here's the thing. Their story is really our story, and that is the problem. These Israelites, in this passage, they fear the Lord, they worship the Lord, they trust the Lord, but it doesn't last real long. I mean, we'll get to some of this in the series. We won't have time for all of it, but if you keep reading, it's not long and they're grumbling again. It's not long and they're not believing again. And the problem for them is the problem for us, and it's called slavery. See, the Exodus story is a real story about a real moment in history, but it's bigger than that because the Exodus story reveals that we all, by sin nature, have become slaves. In fact, remember that passage I read at the beginning in Romans? Here's the whole context of that passage. Romans chapter 6, verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace, Paul says? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. You may not know what this whole sin thing is about. What sin means is God had an ideal, a goal, a mark, and his goal is that you would hit that mark. But when it came time and you pulled back your bow, you aimed at another mark and you shot, and you didn't hit there, you hit that over there. That's literally the Greek word amartia means to miss the mark. That God had a goal of holiness, perfection, to do the good thing, the right thing, the loving thing, that that would be the goal. But instead of doing that, you aimed somewhere else and it created a problem called sin. And sin isn't just a, oops, I made a mistake. Sin is by nature enslaving. It makes slaves out of all of us. And so you only have two choices. You're either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. You can't stand in the middle with one foot in one camp and one foot in another and think that you're doing justice to the goodness and the grace of God. You are either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. And this creates a problem for all of us. It's no different than the Israelites. You're either a slave in Egypt or you're gonna trust me to get you to the promised land, but you can't have both. 
And God wants to set us free from Satan, sin, and death. That's the end game. That's what he's going for. That's the whole reason we're even studying this book. And it's real for all of us, isn't it? It's a battle. It's a struggle. And you know what? Paul gets it. The very next chapter in the book of Romans, Romans 7, says, Paul says, I am a wretched man. The evil that I don't want to do, I keep doing it. And the good that I want to do, I don't seem to do it. And he literally says, what is wrong with me? Who's going to save me from this life of sin and death? And Paul is just acknowledging this isn't just a biblical concept that you all deal with. Paul is saying this is a biblical concept that I deal with. Years ago, I read uh, in a book by a guy named Neil Anderson. He was trying to help this young man find freedom from lust. And uh, that young man brought some of his friends to meet Neil, and they were just talking back and forth, and he was trying to help him. Now, this is far enough back in the day that the way that this was playing out is his friends had magazines that would come to the house. He was ordering the magazines, and they would come periodically, once a month or whatever, whatever the, the amount was. And these friends weren't real convinced that Neil was going to be able to help this young man. And so Neil just challenged them and said, look, I can prove to you that, that you are a slave to whatever you obey. And what do you mean? He said, you can't control yourself, can you? This thing is controlling you. And the friends of this young man said, no, nah, I can control it. He said, prove it. The next time that magazine comes in, I just want you to set it down. Don't open it. He said, fine, I'll do that. He said, good, let's check back in a week or so. Let's see how it goes. Sure enough, the magazine came in. A week or so later, they meet. Neil said, how'd it go? And the young men said, I did fine. I did it. He said, really? You got it and you never looked at it? He said, yeah, for 24 hours. He said, for 24 hours? He said, yeah, I just wanted to prove to you that I could control it. It wasn't controlling me. He said, my friend, you didn't prove anything to me except for that you're a slave. Because if you could control it, you'd never go back again. And that's the problem with sin. It's tremendously deceptive. And it tricks all of us into thinking that we're in control. And that life was better with whatever we had before. And look, I don't know how this exactly applies to you, but I know it does. And so for some of you, it might be lust, or for some of you, it might be drinking, and you swear to everybody else, you're fine, you're in control, but when you're really honest, just you, just you, you know it's not just one drink, and you're not just in control. And for some of you, it's like a spending habit, and you think to yourself, I can afford it, I work hard, what's wrong with enjoying my money? But you know, maybe nobody else does, just how big the bills are, and it's owning you. Or maybe it's gossip, rumors, and you use your words, tear down. And every time you do it, you walk away feeling dirty, but you think to yourself, I'm never going to do that again. I'm going to be kind. And you share all these memes on social media about how you're going to build up others and use your words to build up others. But then you get a chance where all of a sudden you feel insecure and you just start cutting other people down and you walk away and you don't understand why you keep doing it. I mean, I could stand up here probably for an hour and just come up with illustration after illustration, but the point is, whatever you give yourself to, it's your master. That's why Paul goes on, he says, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. 
You took your foot out of this camp and said, I'm going to plant it firmly over here. Praise be to God. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, I don't even have this one. I've got it hanging on my office because I love this verse. It's one of my life verses. Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, yeah, yeah, let's stop. Give God glory, please. So when did this happen? When did I move from death to life? When did I become set free from the pattern of sin that leads to slavery, that leads to death? When did that happen? Did you know earlier in that chapter, Paul told us? Take a look with me. Romans chapter six, verse three, Paul says, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So I want to unpack this for you. This is beautiful. There is a moment where you are moved from dead to life. I like to use the analogy. It's like two sides of a coin. This is the idea of what the Bible calls holiness. So what this means is when we go into the waters of baptism, baptism is nothing apart from faith and repentance. It's just a bath. You've already had one of those, I hope, by God's grace today. But without faith and repentance, it's nothing more than getting wet. But when you combine faith and repentance and saying, God, I need you, I need a savior, and you go into those waters, at a moment in time, your past is washed away and you are connected with Jesus Christ in his death and burial and resurrection. The old you gets buried and the new you comes alive. So now when Jesus looks at you, he sees the blood of the lamb that was put over the doorpost of Passover that is actually now Jesus who died on the cross, raised from the dead. He looks at you and he doesn't see your slavery. He doesn't see your failure, your sin, your amartia. He looks at you and says, my son, my daughter, my child, I love you and I am with you forever. But that's not the end of the story because then he's got a work to do. You still got some slavery in you, some Israelite that's going, man, I remember what it was like in Egypt. That felt good. That was fun. That was enjoyable, even just momentarily. Let's just not, let's not look at all the sleepless nights. Let's not look at all the pain and trying to juggle all the stress. Let's not look at all the junk. Let's not look at all the babies being killed. Let's not look at all the extra. Let's not look at that. Let's just remember that high, that brief high that that sin provided for a minute. And so you got to figure out now that I am in God's view, redeemed by the blood of Jesus, how do I walk in that newness of life. And this is what the Bible calls sanctification. I know it's a big theological term. What sanctification means, it's the ongoing process of being moved from death to life in one moment and figuring out how to live that out every single day. And sometimes it takes time. It takes a process, but I know it takes this. It takes a commitment, a commitment to letting God do in me what he's already done for me. It takes a moment of saying, God, I don't want to be this way anymore. Man, I don't, I don't even know what all God's doing, but he's setting some captives free. Stories I can't share, but just people coming up to me. One gentleman um, we've been trying to meet for a long, 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 long time. I've handed him off to lots of other people to meet. And he would text me and tell me, He's afraid he's going to go to hell. He's afraid he's going to die. He's, he's afraid of all these things. He's afraid he's committed the unforgivable sin. I'm like, what is going on? Like, I tried to help him via text and never, never seemed to do anything. Finally, I was like, brother, you got to get in here. I'm spending more time texting you than I would if we just met. Let's meet. 
I told him, I said, the end game here, our goal is we've got to get to the root. We're dealing with all these spider webs, but there's still a spider in here. We've got to find that spider and kill it. And after a long conversation, found out that he needed to go home and own some things to his spouse. I said, all right, your mission is to go home and have a hard, hard conversation. Go home and do that. And then I didn't talk to him for a couple months, and I didn't know. I honestly thought, I'll probably never see him again because it's so terrifying. And instead, he went home and did the hard thing. I said, oh, I forgot to tell you, Pastor. I'm like, what? Dog. Like, what? He said, I've never felt this free in the last 10 years. Because I decided to stop letting the slavery own me and bring it into the light and walk in the newness of life. And I already know, I know stories today. Some people are going home, they're having some hard conversations today because they're saying, I'm gonna walk with Jesus today. But let me show you one last thing. Remember I, I promised you earlier about the cloud? Remember that? Let me show you one passage. I, I'm not making stuff up, guys. This isn't like, Matt's got some cool ideas. This is Bible study 101, all right? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul says, for I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized in the Moses, in the cloud, and in the sea. You're like, what? You read your Old Testament, your New Testament comes alive. And you read your Old Testament, what, what Paul is saying here is, is so cool. What Paul is saying is obvious. Our ancestors were baptized and united into Christ too. When they passed through those waters of the sea on the dry land, it was a form of baptism. They were walking out of slavery into the old them, walking into life in the new way. He goes on, he says, they all ate the same spiritual food, drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Now, I don't, this may be totally foreign to you, but what Paul is doing is he's reading the book of Exodus and he's going, that cloud is Jesus. That water is Jesus. That rock, which we aren't there yet in Exodus, but they strike it, water comes out, they all drink from it, it's Jesus. The manna in the Old Testament is Jesus. I keep telling you, it's all Jesus. It's all from him, it's all for him, it's all by him, everything is to point to him. He is everything. But here's the thing, if you wanna move from death to life, from slavery to freedom, you gotta pass through the waters. Alistair Roberts says it really good. He says, Paul sees in the crossing something analogous to our baptism. Israel is being united to Moses. As we've seen, experienced his own deliverance from the water many years before. Remember, it's a type of ark. How did God wash the sin off this earth? Through a flood. Moses literally was put in a little ark, carried along the waters so that he could be saved. In a similar manner, we're baptized into Christ, united with him in his death and buried with him so that the shape of his resurrection life might become the shape of our lives. That's the end game. The end game is not just to be washed and to go, yes, I got my get out of hell free card. No, 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 no. It's to have all of me transformed by all of him so that when I walk in life, I'm experiencing everything he had intended for me. And here's where I wanna make a call today. Some of you have never been united with Christ in this way, and today's your day. And as I'm preaching the sermon, you know it's for you, but you don't know exactly what to do. Listen, if you are ready today to be baptized into Christ, I just want you to stand up right now. We don't normally do it this way, but we're gonna do it right now. I just want you to stand up. 
And maybe you grew up in a different church than ours. Maybe you grew up in a Catholic church or a Lutheran church or some other church, and they sprinkled babies. And I want to honor, praise God, your parents loved you enough to do that. But when I was a little kid, we used to sing a song, and here's how the song went. Oh, you can't get to heaven in your daddy's shoes because God don't want no big canoes. And that's the cheesiest thing I ever heard of. And I don't know why we thought that was a good idea to teach that to kids. But what the song was trying to say to us is you can't get to heaven in your parents' faith. You can't get to heaven on your pastor's faith. You can't get to heaven in this church. You can only get to heaven by faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So listen, maybe you were sprinkled at birth and your parents started a legacy in you that we want to honor, but we want to build on the legacy. And today, I want to call you, maybe today is your day to go all in with Jesus and be united with him in baptism. If you are being convicted by this mess and you've been united by baptism through immersion, you don't need to do it again. We've had people slip through the cracks. You don't need to mark this moment. Jesus has already marked your life. But we had at least four people last service. One stood up, three more said, I was too embarrassed to stand. What are you embarrassed for? Jesus says, if you confess me before men, I will stand before my Father in heaven and confess you. So listen, it's not too late to stand right now. Why let the moment pass? But if you are one who's like, I want to do this, I just am too embarrassed. When this service is done, you go to that connect up right outside these doors and just say, today is my day to What's next? The rest of us are going to pray, and then we're going to sing our hearts out to Jesus. Ready? Let's pray. God, meet us in this place because we need you, God. Lord, I want to see some people set free. I want to see some slavery released. I want to see, God, I want to see people's lives transformed and changed by the blood and the life of Jesus Christ. So God, do it in us. And we're afraid. God, we're so much like the Israelites. We're so afraid to let go of the past because we don't understand what you're doing. But God, we have the benefit. We can see the promised land. We can see that at the end of this story, God, you were good. You were good. You did everything you'd promised you would do. And you did everything along the way needed to be done to make sure that all of our needs were met and we were taken care of. We don't have to live in fear. Sin doesn't have to be our master. We could be set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. And God, I pray right now for freedom in this place. Anybody who is hanging on to their anxiety and they're hanging on to something, God, may they let it go right now in the power and in the name of Jesus. Not because I'm passionate and yelling because I know I'm passionate and I'm yelling, but because the Holy Spirit is in here and he's moving and he's stirring and he's helping us to join him and unite with Christ in this way. And God, I pray that we would see your hand today in this place. In Jesus' name, all God's people said.